Hey guys, welcome to a new episode. Today's episode is very different. It is an interview with uh, the one and only Sadhguru. Now, before we get into the episode, uh, there are some things I have to admit. I hadn't read any of the books that Sadhguru has written. I hadn't seen a lot of his podcasts or his videos. I've barely ever done any yoga and it would be wrong to say that I'm a very spiritual person because I haven't explored that side of myself. And there are many such reasons that makes me extremely unqualified to interview someone like Sadhguru. But there is one big reason. My mother. My mother has been a Sadhguru follower for a few years now and she constantly sends me videos all the time about uh, his talks, his thoughts. Whenever I would share a problem with her saying this is how I'm feeling, this is how I'm thinking, she would often quote Sadhguru. And in the recent past when I had a personal tragedy, I got to spend a lot of time with my mother and I realized how much uh, Sadhguru means to her. Uh, how much his teachings and the Isha Foundation means to her. So when I got the opportunity to interact with Sadhguru, I just had to take it. So one fine morning, me and my mom, we drove down to the Isha Foundation in Coimbatore and we interviewed Sadhguru. I have to say I had a really good time at the Isha Yoga Center. It was very peaceful. I visited the Adiyogi statue. I went to the Dhyanalinga. I even meditated. I had a pretty good time. And if you ever get the opportunity to, you should visit as well. Uh, on that note, here's the interview. Namaskaram. So it's nice to be here. It's nice to be here. Um, I don't know if your team gave you any context to me. No, you, you should give me some context. Okay, I shall. Uh, my name is Tanmay. I'm a comedian. Mm -hmm. So... Oh, that's uh, fine. Yeah. I'm a, <laughs> which means I am generally... Uh, I've been a cynic. <laughs> I'm generally cynical and I'm generally skeptical. Um, but I'm here today with an open mind. Um, not just because, you know... 30 years of living around chaos kind of tends you tends to make you uh, want to wander towards some stillness. See, skepticism, let's separate these two things, skepticism and cynicism, mm. two different things. I'm a super skeptic. Mm. Are you? Yes, always. Mm. But I'm not cynical. Mm. Because cynical means you made some assumptions, skepticism means you're looking. Fair, fair. Uh, but yeah, I think I'd, I'd agree to that. But my mother has been a long-time follower and uh, <laughs> all my battles against the world are in one place <laughs> and my relationship with my mother is, is in another. And uh, I knew it would make her very happy if I was here. Uh, and I know that uh, all the teachings that you have given has made her very happy. Uh, so thank you for that, first of all. Uh, mm -hmm. I know it brings a lot of peace to many people. Um, and I would not pass on this opportunity. Uh, to do that. Mummy, are you happy? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm overwhelmed that he is here. I never thought he would be here conversing <laughs> with you. <laughs> yeah. Does he always pick such bad people to converse? <laughs> <laughs> My first question, sir, is um, I have a fairly younger audience that follows me, you know, kids between the ages of 18 to 30. Um, you know, love and relationships make a big part of their lives. Um, and given today's chaotic world and social media, there's always a need to want to have a partner, to search for a partner. Or if not social media, then sometimes your mother asks you questions like, why aren't you getting married? Why aren't you with someone? Um, how does one learn to live alone and be alone? Uh, see, uh, as human beings are made, as life is made, 
What do you think? This is a complete life by itself or it's a half a life? It can be… it can feel fairly complete. <laughs> fairly complete means uh, somewhere it's not yet complete. Well, if you pay enough attention to it, it's a complete life. It's made as a whole life. But to do things in the world, if you want to do business, you want a business partner. If you want to build a family, you want a f another kind of partner. You just want to live outside, you need another kind of partner. You need partners to act in the world. Mm. You don't need partners to be. Mm. Because you're the only creature on the planet who is being referred to as a being. Sparrows are flying around, you can't fly. But we don't call them bird beings, they're just birds, all right? Tiger is roaming in the forest. We don't call him a tiger being. An elephant is raging through the forest. We don't call him an elephant being. Only this one we're calling a being because this one is supposed to know how to be. When you don't know how to be, then you start thinking you're incomplete. How to act in the world is a different affair altogether because that's not your space. World is not entirely your space. If you want to act there, you need the cooperation of hundreds of people, otherwise you cannot act. So to get that cooperation, you form variety of partnerships. To fulfill your financial needs, one kind of partnership, your social needs, another kind, your physical, psychological, emotional needs, another kind of partnership. That is for activity. But if you sit here, why aren't you a complete life? This is a complete life. Based on what you just said, do you think it's possible to have multiple partners, given that, like you said, different people satisfy different needs. Some people may satisfy your emotional needs, some may satisfy your physical needs. Is it possible to... Everybody has multiple partners. But if you are thinking partnership is only about body-based partnerships, then it's a different matter. Otherwise, don't all of us have different partners to, to fulfill different aspects of our life? You are, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> no, but you know, the term that goes around nowadays is, is polyamory or things like that, which is, oh, I'm in love with different people or I can... Why have... not? I'm in love with billions of people. Hmm. But why did you misunderstand love means you have to do something with your body? Physical body has its boundaries. Only with boundaries you can maintain sanctity of your body. If you don't set any boundaries, everybody can walk over you, then it'll become ugly. There are other aspects to it, there are sciences attached to it. Let's not go there, even in terms of simple sense. Physical, everything physical has a boundary, isn't it? In fact, it is the defined boundary which makes the physical, isn't it? You call this a table, this is not a table, why? Because that's its boundary. We call that you. We don't call this as you. Why? Because that is your boundary. Physicality is always like this. So you're misunderstanding physicality with other aspects of life. Is it not true that if you have a dog at home, you share some emotion with the dog, that does it mean to say your mother doesn't exist? Love there is, is positive nobody... Sum. I'm sorry? Love is positive sum. See, there are, there's too much misconceptions about these things, if I have to fix that right now in a brief conversation. The thing is like this, 
if you ever experience any love for anybody, where do you experience it? People say it's in the air, but did you feel it in the air or within yourself? You must answer that question. Is this part of Indian engineering, mummy? My mother has been asking me. These do questions, we, is it? Oh, Indian engineering. No, no, she's uh, <laughs> following me. <laughs> it's okay if she asked that question. And now I am asking you that question, in case you did not answer that question, at least time that you answer that question. This is not for me that you have to answer, for yourself. If you experience anything as a human being, does it happen within you or outside of you? Mm. Within you, right? Yes. Whether it's peacefulness, joyfulness, love, anything, pain, misery, whatever happened, happened only within you. So when you talk about love, why you talk about somebody else? That's a relationship. A relationship is a transaction which needs to be managed with some amount of skill. To be loving, you don't need anything or anybody, you're just loving. Loving means it's the sweetness of your emotion. And why are you not sweet? Why have you become bitter? Because you have assumed things from limited experience of life, isn't it? If you're walking on the street, somebody poked you and went away, now walking on the street will be a bitter experience because you're always thinking these people will poke you, poke you. Maybe one, only once in your lifetime they poked you. But all the time you will be suspicious, fearful and thinking somebody will poke you. And just to fulfill your desire, somebody may <laughs> So the problem is the experiences of life, instead of using that as a way to rise, most people are using the experiences of life to become wounded. They did not become wise. The more bitter experiences happen to you, the wiser you should have become. Unfortunately, they become wounded because they do not know the difference between memory, present experience of life and imagination. In yoga, we call this trikala. There are three aspects of time in your life. Memory? There is... Yesterday is only a memory, isn't it? Hmm. Now you're experiencing what is there, but now memory may be overlapping into your present moment and you can't experience it. Or using this memory, you project something which is imagination. Now when you don't have any distinction between these three, that memory, experience and imagination are all mixed up, then everything is a mess. And in that mess, people are trying to find sense, they will not find anything. So how does one learn to be present, this is... Uh, are you present right now? Are you here? I am. Yes. But I right now the problem you is, you're thinking about something else. So right now there are people who are always... Uh, whole world right now, it came from America, but now it's everywhere. Be in the moment, be in the moment. Yeah. I'm asking you, be somewhere else and show me, no? No, but if I'm in the future, I'll be... No, no, no. Can you be somewhere else and show me right now? I can't. You can think about the past, you can think about the future. So what they're essentially telling you is, do not think about the past, do not think about the future. Be in the moment means that's a teaching. But one needs to understand, to arrive at this level of cerebral capability, it took millions of years of work of the evolution to get us here, to this level of capability. We are the only creatures on this planet who have such a cerebral capability. And this capability, unfortunately, most human beings are suffering. A work of millions of years, P 
people are suffering. This is the greatest thing that's happened to us. We can think better than these cows, we can think better than the elephant, we can think better than anything. We are, our memory is so vivid, our imagination is so fantastic. This is what they are suffering. What happened ten years ago, they're still suffering. What may happen day after tomorrow, they're already suffering. They're not suffering life, they've not even touched life. They're suffering their own memory and imagination. That means you do not know how to handle your faculties because your education, it is teaching you all the nonsense about how to dominate and extract things from everything. It's not told you a thing about how to manage this one. If you do not know how to manage your thought and emotion, how the hell are you going to ever live well, I'm asking anybody? How? Just by chance, if somebody is nice to you today, you feel little good. But you can never have this working for you throughout your life, somebody will always be nice to you. There's no such thing. Then you must get series of dogs, every twelve you can have... A dog means it's a twelve-year love affair, all right? However you behave, he behaves well with you. I hope dogs learn and they bite you <laughs> If my dog is watching, please, please don't do that. Every twelve years you have to replace your love, that's all. When I said that I'm a cynic, right? Like one of the... At one of the points that truly resonated with me was, you know, once you go through enough ups and downs in life, you start on... you start feeling like... Life you is... You only count the downs, you forgot the ups. Fair, the downs <laughs> make a bigger dent in your memory. Um, do you believe that life has any purpose? Do you... or do you think life is purposeless? See, this question arises only because people are too invested in their own thought. Hmm. This is a culture. Yogic culture never paid attention to what you think. You think whatever nonsense you want, we don't care about that because your thought is a consequence of a limited amount of data that you have. Yes or no? Correct. It's a programming. Whatever's input, that's what Yeah, you're... the same thing you're thinking. So this may be positive, this may be negative. Accordingly, you're making your conclusions. It doesn't mean a thing because it's not life. Your thought process is not life. Your thought process is something that you make up. At least you must make it up the way you want. She's giving you teaching all this. <laughs> she tries. She tries. She sends me videos of a few every week, some of which I watch, some of which I learn from her. Um, especially in moments where she can see that I'm... I'm growing weary. Numa, do you have any questions? Yeah, um, I have some questions on the Save Soil campaign that you have. Others, uh, I've seen enough of videos that I understand a little bit of what you're asking. The same soil, you said uh, something about plowing. Plowing is... I thought it was an integral part of the, uh, uh, the soil. Only when you plow, it, uh, yes. it's uh, mixed up and you know, you grow better crop. And especially where it's in uh, Punjab, they are burning those uh, leftovers of, uh, uh, of this crop after harvesting. Uh, is it a very difficult thing? Like they can't plow it or something and then they're burning it? Even See, in Maharashtra, yeah. I've seen them burning 
and when I question them, they say it's for warming for the next harvest day. That's the reason. What are they warming? There's not enough sunlight in India. I don't know. I, <laughs> what I thought was maybe uh, weeding is a little difficult, so they just no. burn the whole thing off. That's not the thing. Okay, let's not get into why they're doing what they're doing, because that's a big thing. You can't touch anything the farmer is doing anymore. <laughs> okay, <laughs> leave that. But why plowing? Why am I talking about that? See, the problem is even in the universities, largely, except in few universities, in most places, including the agriculture ministry, including the soil health card that government is making, we are thinking of soil as a bunch of chemicals. We think it's nitrogen, phosphorus, this one, that one. No, soil is a living organism. If you take a handful of soil, there's anywhere between seven to ten billion organisms in a handful of soil. It has to be that way. If all of them are on and active, there is enough oxygenation happening. First twelve to fifteen inches of soil is the basis of eighty-seven percent of life on this planet. If there is enough organisms, they keep the soil expanded like that and it can hold water, it can hold oxygen, everything. Now you compact the soil too much, now there is no oxygenation, roots cannot go into that, so you start plowing. So that is a habit we've gotten later. Now you went into the forest, if you go into this forest, nobody ever plowed this land. Just see how everything is growing. Because there the organic content could be anywhere between sixty to seventy percent of the soil. It's so rich that its water holding cap capability is such, if you go there into the jungle, you don't need an implement. With your fingers, if you just dig like this, two, three inches if you go, it'll be damp. This is all your crop needs, do you understand? If you raise the organic content anywhere between eight to ten percent, right now, 62% of India's soil is below 0.5%. To call soil as soil, it should have minimum 3 to 6%. If you make it 8 to 10%, your irrigation requirement would come down to 30% of what you need right now. If you're using 100 liters, you would use 30 liters and still it'll be fine. If you raise it to 12 to 15% organic content, your irrigation requirement would come down to 10 to 15%. 15 liters out of 100 liters is what you need. Right now, one of the biggest crises that you're facing in the country, urban people won't understand this, go and see in the villages, or you see any traditional imagery, artwork, movies, everything, those uh, village uh, girls are carrying a pot, well, nicely painted, and she's swinging and she's singing a song and going, no, that's not how it happens. She goes, this damn thing is weighing 25 kilograms on her head, she goes shaking like this, she doesn't go sing, she doesn't have romance on the way. No, because the actress is carrying an empty pot, she can do all that. You just see how they're carrying the water, the whole thing is joy shaking like this, neck is shaking like that. There's twenty-five kilograms on top of the head. But there is no room for romance or song or dance with that weight on your head, all right? So, we have been depicting this in a romantic way. People are walking miles to get a pot of water. What is romantic about it, I'm asking? But unfortunately, the romantic image of the village is, the village belle is carrying a pot and she goes like this and that. To wash her clothes, she goes two kilometers somewhere, to a river or a pond. You think all this is romantic? 
There's nothing romantic if you had to do it. <laughs> Somebody else is doing it looks romantic. Poverty itself is being made into a very romantic thing in the movies and books and everything, you know. It's a cruel thing, but everywhere it's romanticized in a certain way. Leaving that, our water consumption for agriculture is over 84% of the country's water is used for agriculture. You can bring it down significantly if the soil was rich. One reason why it's not happening is summers there's no uh, cover crops. This was part of our agriculture in this country. In the summers, we always had cover crops of legumes, pulses and other things. We knew that we will not get any yield out of it, not much yield out of it. But when the rains began to happen in monsoon, we would plow back the whole crop into the land. Easily one to two inches of humus was forming every year. Today there is nothing in the last forty years. We think by throwing salt, we can do it. Sima, you are eating healthy and you are healthy. Suppose we test your blood today and we find uh, you are little deficient in iron or B6, B12, something. What will we do? We'll give you two, three pills to take it for a month, two months, three months, whatever, to bridge that, you know, lack of nourishment. Now we are thinking similarly with agriculture, we have the soil, but it may not be always in a perfect state because every year we are using it for so many crops. What is deficient? This nitrogen, phosphorus, I mean something sulfur, we put in different ways lime, whatever else we were putting to bridge that gap. Now you took a few pills and you felt really wonderful tomorrow morning, so you decided not to eat anymore, just take lots of pills and you will be okay. You know what will happen? Don't look at me. <laughs> There's no reason to look at me. <laughs> These people have your son. <laughs> how is meat eating, uh, how is it going? It's another question that's targeted towards me. <laughs> it's well targeted, I can see. <laughs> With the best intention, of course, yeah. because it's your mother. Eating vegetarian, and hmm. these people have started. <laughs> she keeps referring to as these people. <laughs> yes. Answer. Uh, Answer. See, this has happened because uh, vegetarian diets have lost their strength in many ways. For example, the vegetables that were growing. See, everywhere it's happened, but there are not enough studies to tell us clearly. United States is one place where the studies have happened. Today, it's very fashionable for people to eat salads and things like that. One important ingredient is lettuce. Hmm. If you ate lettuce in early twentieth century, let's say 1920, how much you got out of that? Today, what you will get is only ten percent of what you would get then. Ninety percent reduction in nutritional value of vegetables has happened in United States. In different vegetables, it may be little different. Anywhere between fifty to ninety percent, most vegetables range. If you ate one orange in 1920, today you will have to eat eight oranges to get the same nourishment from one orange. So, how many people can eat eight oranges per day to get that? See, today, this may not be an absolute fact, but it is very related. A country like India, which is so packed with population, so close, you can't really keep distance. But in United States, where it is very well proportioned between 
land and population, you know, the proportion is extremely good. In spite of that, it was nearly 1900 people dying per day of the pandemic. We've almost come out of it. Why is this? One important reason, this may not be the only reason, one important reason is this. The nutritional value in the food has gone down so much. If you ask any doctor, you don't have to be a great virologist or something, just a simple doctor, if you ask them, they will tell you, if you lack vitamin A, vitamin B6, B12, vitamin C, vitamin E, uh, calcium, foliate, iron, magnesium, zinc, if these things are missing in your diet, you become susceptible to upper res respiratory tract infections. This is common knowledge. Why is it a country like United States, which has a choice of nourishment, all right? People can choose and eat whatever they want. That much choice of nourishment is there, and food is way cheaper than most other countries. In spite of that, see, they are not able to control the number of deaths are so high because they are so susceptible to uh, upper re respiratory tract infections. Well, there are various other factors, this is not the only thing, but this is also an important part of living. Your civilization will be ripped apart in three days of food shortage, yes or no? Food yeah. rights. Food rights will do that. The moment people don't have food to eat, it's not available anywhere, uh, if they see you're well-fed, they will slaughter you on the street. It'll happen. And it's happened in the past. It's not new. Human beings lose everything, all sense of humanity, the moment they don't have food for themselves and their families, they will become aggressive like animals, you know? I'll be the first one to be slaughtered. <laughs> So he is the cause. Let us, let us not take it there. Let's reverse it. That's all I'm saying. So, so do you think the only the policy changes will be, will be good enough, effective in the India? Uh, see, right now, uh, yesterday I spoke to this Caribbean nations all together called CARICOM. Eleven nations are already signing up for policy change. We've developed a policy document. One thing is a common document for all soils, another thing is for soil types, another thing for individual nations, what they should do. In policy change in India, will it solve all the problem? It will not solve all the problems immediately, but it will start reversing the problem. At least it will not advance. Right now, see, we are keeping this land really good. What is the guarantee next generation will keep it this way? This all that happened, isn't it? In the previous generations, it was fine. Now we have done this. So, this place, we have a policy. In US, we are building a whole spiritual city. So, I have dedicated seventy percent of the land as conservation land. The forests that are there, nobody can touch. It's private land. We can build all the hundred percent if we want. Seventy percent, we've committed and written it into our constitution that no matter tomorrow what demands come, what pressures come, you can only build in thirty percent of the land. Similarly, here we have some Restrictions, see the, this home school, you're sitting here, nearly seventy acres of land. We take only three hundred and forty children. I can take ten thousand children if I want for seventy acres, according to city school standards. Only three hundred and forty children, because we want the children to grow up in a certain way. Tomorrow, if I'm not here, these people who are around me are not here, let's say, hundred years later, they may take ten thousand people. So we have to write it down somewhere that this cannot be done. That needs to happen. This is why policy change is very important because it, ens it ensures that even in future somebody cannot destroy it. 
Will everything be reversed tomorrow morning? No, that's not how it works. But if you give incentives, it'll begin to happen. Right now, we have done this in a big way in Karnataka and Tamil Nadu. Karnataka has given a subsidy for every tree a farmer plants. Today, there's a hundred and twenty-five rupee subsidy. It's growth related. Over four years, it will be paid. Every year, he has to take pictures of the thing and we have set up a digital platform and an agency through which if they post the picture, he will get the thing straight into his bank account, it'll go. So now millions of farmers are going in for tree-based agriculture. This kind of incentives are needed. You need a cover crop in the summer. You must give some incentive to put the cover crop. Once he sees the benefit of that, then he will naturally do it by himself. So like he said, I'll be the one who will be slaughtered first. So, so I, uh, this... Don't say that. Why are you saying that? <laughs> That's what he said. I can't say that. She said. So, what should he do? What should a person, what, what an individual, or at uh, their level, or as individual, should be? Your social part? media has not had much influence at home. <laughs> <laughs> it hasn't. It hasn't. Into throwing to media, not taking things from media. <laughs> All right, I'm going to leave then, you guys can continue. <laughs> what can young people do, sir? Yes, see, in a democratic nation, we must understand, everybody's saying, Sadhguru, what can I do? I'll roll up my sleeves, shall I fix my garden? <laughs> it's very cute, you fix your garden, it's wonderful, I appreciate that. But that's not a solution, that's for your satisfaction. The solution is agricultural land should change, you're not a farmer. So what is it a human being can do in a... what is it a citizen can do? In a democratic nation, there are two most powerful things in your hand, your vote and your voice. Vote is only once in five years or whatever, it's over. Now it's your voice. And today as a generation of people, we have a voice that no generation ever had. See, uh, what is it, 2020 or 2021, these numbers? 2021. Our video reach is 2.2 billion. When was it possible that spiritual talks would reach 2.2 billion people in one year or 2.0 billion views in one year? Such a thing was never possible. Many great people have come, but when they spoke, hardly ten people heard. So this is the first time we have technologies and means to communicate with the entire world if we want. In this time, if we do not transform the world and do what we really wish to do, it shows that we simply don't care, that's all. So that's all I'm trying to do. I'm sixty-five, riding thirty thousand kilometers is not a joyride. It's not a joyride. And I'm riding in the northern Europe in winter, where roads are icy. Icy roads and two-wheelers, probably you don't know what it means. And then I'm entering Arabia, where temperatures are thirty-eight to forty degrees in the month of May. Then I'm riding straight into Indian monsoon. And of course, I'm also riding through <laughs> probably a war out there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you said the soil is getting converted into deserts. So could we convert the deserts into... Yes, very much possible. See, if you add organic content to sand, it'll become soil. If you take away all the organic content from the soil, it'll become sand. See, just to tell you, Rajasthan was a, a very lush forest some six, seven thousand years ago. Even a better example would be around ten thousand years ago, Saudi Arabia was a rainforest. 
Will you believe that? See what's happened today. You do one thing, from 2003 to today, you just see the African map, the Google image of Africa. You just see how the sand is spreading to the middle. Only in the middle there is green. Slowly, both south and north, it's spreading like this. This desertification is one of the most serious problems right now. We are partners with UNCCD, the Agency for Combating Desertification. And this problem is gone to a place where it's scary, scary, you know. So this is where we are going. Why... see, suicides are happening. Over 300,000 farmers have committed suicide in India in the last 20, 22 years. People are explaining it off. Oh, he had a bank loan. Oh, he had this, he had that. I'm asking you, if you were a farmer and your soil was rich and you could grow food on that, even if you cannot commercially be successful, if you could grow food for your own family, would you commit suicide? I'm asking. Would any man do that? When it's become so hopeless, he cannot provide even the basic things for his own family, that's when he kills himself. We are explaining it off as if it's just an economic problem. Yes, there are economics involved in that, but it's mainly the soil. Sixty-two percent of India's soil is below 0.5 percent. This is a desert. We're just getting there very soon. In the next 10-15 years, we'll be totally there if we don't act now. Something out of uh, all this. Mm -hmm. uh, in Hinduism, we have this uh, burning of the body after the death. Why not Bali? Is it something... Is there any reason There are many reasons. Some of them may be still relevant, some of them may not be. One important thing is, when people die, if people died of old age, this was the practice but now it's forgotten. If people died of ripe old age, they were buried. But if they died somewhere in between, they were always cremated. Because we don't know what he's died of. Nobody to test his bacteria or virus and say what he's died of. The best thing is to cremate. There is also another aspect. If a person... this is a little complex to say in two minutes. Uh, if a person dies because life became feeble and he exited the body out of old age, then there is no rush with the body because the body has become too feeble for anything to come back. But let's say somewhere middle of the life somebody died either because of injury or uh, let's say because of some... something broke in the body. See, when I say injury, it can be from outside or your heart broke, your liver broke, this is also kind of damage. When that happens, the rest of the body is still vibrant. Because of this, it will draw certain types of energies towards it. So you don't want that to happen. And there are many things, uh, I think, uh, you can give us a death book. Uh, you have? Okay. So there are many aspects which are unnecessarily active for periods which is not necessary. So if you cremate, everything kind of closes. See, even... even for the family, I'm saying. In this country, after cremation, we won't leave it with that. We will take the ashes and throw it into three different rivers or ocean, because completely it must be gone. You must not be able to identify where is somebody who was dear to me right now. It's just gone. Because we want to treat life by its realities. Till somebody is here, Whoever they are, you do your best with them. Once they're dead, you must wash your hands of them. This is the nature of this culture. All the rituals people are doing, people are thinking it's in memory. No, 
it is to distance yourself. There's something called as runanabandha, there are imprints in your own body about people who have been dear to you. You want to distance yourself because if you don't do that, death will grow within you when you're alive. It will kind of weigh you down. So you need to distance yourself. In this context also, cremation is a very sensible thing to do. Unless people have died in a certain way, that certain way I won't go into because it'll need a lot of description, but generally cremation is better. Ecologically, today we are thinking bury and plant a tree is better, but not necessarily. Yes, it is better, but uh, even the ashes are good. They become part of the earth very quickly. So, what do you say about this modified, genetically modified vegetables uh, they are being? At this point, when we are pushing for soil policy, I am not telling people what kind of farming they should do. They can do organic farming, they can use inorganic material, they can do genetic thing. I am not recommending, but I am not trying to tell a farmer how he should do. All I am saying is, let us keep the soil alive for ourselves and future generations. What kind of farming you do, I will leave it to you. Because people living in cities, they don't understand a thing about farming. They think it's a, some kind of a philosophy. Farming is not a philosophy or a religion, it is a practical activity which needs to work. If you worked on the farm, you will know it's a heartbreaking activity. It's not easy, especially if the soil is poor. So, there is no point telling them you do organic, you do this, you do that. If the soil is rich, the usage of chemicals and other things will naturally come down, you know. As it gets poorer, chemicals go up. As it gets richer, it'll come down. As you pop one or two pills, it's okay through through throw something into the soil because it lacks something. But as it gets richer, the need for this will come down. When the society gets mature enough and they ask only for organic food, then you can do that. Because the market is not mature for that. Handful of people are talking about organic food. That's about it. Not a whole population is talking about organic food. Handful of well-to-do people are talking about organic food. With this, farmer can't go hundred percent organic. But increasing the organic content in the soil will naturally push everything in the direction. Right now, many UN agencies are talking about going all out GMO by 2030. Because what they are seeing is, if we do not reverse this now, and really food shortages come, the only way out is genetically modified food. But that'll give us a bridge of approximately 20 to 25 years. When we crash after that, there'll be no recovery. So it's very important, we are in a cusp of time where we need to act, the young people, they don't have to go and fix anything in the farm. They have to, they're good at raising... The voice. Yes, raise it. All I'm saying is 100 days, everybody talks soil. You want to close a conversation, say soil, save soil, say let's make it happen. You want to close a message, say save soil, instead of saying I love you, you say save soil, it's not any different, I'm telling you. Saving soil is not any different from loving the life around you. So, one hundred days if everybody speaks, we will aggregate these numbers and uh, we have written the soil policy. I am addressing the COP15 in Ivory Coast, where 170 countries are participating and we will get an absolutely positive response if enough people talk about it. This is Sadhguru's version of like, share and subscribe, guys. <laughs> On that note,
No, they don't have to like me. Uh, they don't have... they can continue to dislike me if they dislike me. All I'm saying is, don't have to support me. By your own, this thing is just I'm only talking about a concerted action. I will do my thing, you do your thing, but all of us are doing at the same time. Amazing. Sir, you're leaving in a couple of days, I hear, for the... Yep. 30,000 long... 30,000 kilometer long journey. Wish you all the best for that. Thank you very much for uh, featuring uh, on this channel and most importantly, thank you very much for buying me two more months of peace with mom. Thank you so much, sir. He's thinking us. small. Yeah, <laughs>